Well, good morning. It is good to be with you all. Uh, some of you might not know, but my name is Ryan Keith, and I'm a missionary of this church like all of you. I just happen to get paid to do it. Uh, and uh, it's such a privilege to just take a minute as Forgotten Voices is about to turn 10 to say thank you. Uh, when Dale Brantner, Phil Thorne, and some other leaders in Icon, including myself, came before you 10 years ago, we had a big vision that we shared. We asked you to invest in it. We wanted to raise $40,000 to help one church help about 120 kids. That was our first project. It seemed too big, and most of us had never raised any money before, and it was a big vision. Well, today, just this year alone, we've helped 98 churches, and we've impacted over 5,500 kids this, this, just this year. To date, we've raised over $4 million and have impacted over 10,000 children. In just a few years, we're going to be averaging 20,000 children a year. I stand with you in awe at what God has done. Uh, you are my people. You are my people. Uh, there are many of us at Forgotten Voices that have churches and that we're part of in our, in our home church, and you are mine. You are my people. And so... Uh, I know that I go into some of the most forgotten places, the dark places, the hard places on our earth, and I can lean in fully, trusting that the God who has called me there will be there always. But I can also go into those hard places and sit with those who are dying and mourn with those who are mourning and hug children who have lost their parents. I can do that over and over because I know that this church goes behind me, supporting me faithfully and supporting our work and praying for us and encouraging us in every step of the way. So whether you know me personally or you know our work or if you've supported us personally or you've uh, supported our work, uh, you are part of this church and you are my people. Um, but because you are my people, I need to tell you something else. Something that I don't want you to forget. If you forget everything else, I want you to remember this. Our culture tells us that our God is shrinking. Our culture tells us that our God is small. The God that you have allowed us to see at Forgotten Voices and had a front row to see God on the move is a God who is roaring. Our God is big. He is not small. Our God is doing infinitely more than we could hope or imagine. The small page that Forgotten Voices is writing in the grand story, God is playing out across the globe is a story that allows us to declare what our God is for at a time in our culture where he is increasingly only known for what he is against. My friends, our God is on the move. And I stand with you in awe at what he has done. But let me assure you, we are just getting started. To say thank you, to say thank you to you for your faithfulness is inadequate. To say I and our team are eternally grateful is closer. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for the time we have this morning in your word. I thank you for uh, being the kind of God that we can trust with our everything. I pray, Lord, that the, the scriptures today and our time together plants in us 
your truth and your word so that over time we might tend to that and it will grow in us that we can stand in awe at what you have done in, through, and around us, not for our gain, but for your glory. May the things of me fade away from memory and the things of you cemented deep that they cannot be uprooted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 12. Uh, Luke chapter 12. It, and uh, much of uh, Luke chapter 12, well, all of it really is about trusting God uh, and not man, not possessions. And so we're going to look at that. And while you're getting to that, I want to tell you a story, a story that I've told you all before, if you remember, and if you've forgotten, that's okay. Uh, but it's, it's a story that I usually tell at the end, but some of you are tired. It's a hot summer day, and you need a little energy. So I'm going to tell this story at the beginning to put a little pep in your step, hopefully. It's a great story. It's a story that's told by a, a guy, a pastor, Harvey Carey, who's serving in Detroit, Michigan. Harvey Carey is serving in one of the, the poorest, most difficult places uh, in America. And he tells this story uh, and it's a good story now that the NBA season has passed us behind, and not many of you probably watch baseball until the postseason. And so we're in this lull, right? But what do people in central Pennsylvania start thinking about in this lull? Penn State football. Uh, and I don't, I'm not a Penn State guy. My dad's from Michigan, so. But hopefully we can get past that. But imagine that your team, whichever one it is, you have tickets to the championship game, and your team is playing. Now, for Penn State fans, that's a stretch, but this is about faith. <laughs> right? I told you we are going to get past that. That's not helpful. Okay. Now, listen. This is a story about faith, right? So imagine you are at this game, right? And you've got tickets. Not tickets, good tickets. 50-yard line tickets. You got your face paint on, your popcorn, you're ready. Your people are there. You're all excited. You've been waiting for this your whole life. And your team rushes onto the field, and they start huddling. Because they want to get the first play right. It's important. So they huddle. 30 seconds, 60 seconds. They're huddling. 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, still huddling. 30 minutes, 60 minutes, still huddling. And suddenly the huddle breaks. Your team rushes off the field and the game was never played. You'd be disappointed, right? Well, all over America and all over the globe, churches are gathering right now, today. And studying the play, studying the scriptures. But this is the passage, this is the kind of passage that we're gonna wrestle with that we've all heard before. We know the play. And when the outside world looks at us and says, Are they any different than us, or are they just talking about God? Don't they know the play? Play the game. Play the game. Let's not just know the play. Let's play the game. So Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 13 is where we're going to be. This is where Jesus zooms in on material possessions. Luke 12, 13 through 21. And this is what it says. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he, Jesus, said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And I said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable. Saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? 
for I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So right off the bat, simple takeaway, right? It's foolish to trust material possessions and not trust God. It's not just foolish. You're a fool for doing it. In the exchange, the man asks God to intervene. He asks Jesus to intervene and settle a dispute to divide the inheritance. This was a common practice in culture. It's culturally, you know, people would go and seek the counsel and advice from rabbis and priests. And they were asked, you know, what to do. And so in some ways, this man might have just been trying to respect Jesus and say like, oh, well, just tell me what to do, Jesus, and I'll do it. But Jesus declines to weigh in. We have to be cautious here. Jesus' rejection or unwillingness to intervene is, is not an indictment that he doesn't care about this man's unique situation. As if there was a broader point, right? A broader point. He didn't, it's not that he didn't care about the man's specific request or situation. He needed and wanted to make a broader point about the kingdom of God and our need to guard against covetousness. It's a hard word to say, even harder to do. Until the man and those listening understand the broader heart issue, the specifics of the case didn't matter. It's like when I was a kid. My parents, uh, how many of you try to get your kids to say thank you? Or have sometime, you remember those foggy memories way back when? Now your kids are all grateful. But, but I, I remember as a kid, my parents would over and over again tell me to say thank you, right? And I'm a pastor's kid, right? I've grown up in the church. I know all you people. I, I, I could sound thankful. But until in my heart, I was thankful. My words were just empty, right? Here, it's the same way that Jesus could have intervened and told the man something and he might have just gone and tried to do that. But until his heart was addressed, until our hearts are addressed, we're just huddling. You see, this simple passage reveals much about the heart of God. Jesus, we have to remember when we're reading these simple passages, we have to remember who Jesus is. He's the new law, the new beginning. The old ways have faded away. Now, up until Jesus, uh, man had been provided by God with lots of rules, lots of regulations, how to dress, uh, what to wear, how to behave, what to pay if you do this sin or that sin, right? Ten Commandments, like all these, all these rules, all these things that we have to do. Because that's what man said they wanted. They needed more direction. God, we didn't obey because we didn't know. Who are we? You've got to tell us. So God told them. And the rules grew and grew and grew and grew until they became unbearable. And Jesus is coming here and saying, I'm not going to intervene. I want to get to this broader thing. He's saying, I know that you can't do all the rules before, but I am enough. Trust me. Store up your treasures with me. 
Over time, the laws and instructions grew, and they became corroded by men. Jesus could have intervened, but he didn't. But Jesus used commanding, powerful language. Our friend Jesus, right? Imagine you're having dinner with Jesus. He doesn't be nice and gracious here and say, well, that was foolish. You could have done better. Good try. He says, you fool. You fool. He says, he says in the last verse, he says, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So what made this man a fool? We have to understand this because we are like this man more often than we think. What made this man a fool? We have to understand that before we can remember or consider how to be rich toward God. Well, first, he obviously relied on material things and not God, right? He built a storehouse so big that he he got to the point where he's like, well, I have enough. And he built a storehouse like trusting that like, oh, this, if I build a storehouse, I'll be provided for. But then he was also fooled because he did it again, right? He built this storehouse so big that it was so big. And then he said like, oh, wow, like I have a lot, but I, I need more. So he tore it down, not built a second one. He tore the one he had down and built a bigger one. He did it over and over again. But we were like that too. How many times have we asked God to provide and show up and then he does and then like this, we forget. And one of the other reasons why he's a fool, the last one for today, there are many reasons why. But one of the last ones for today is that he told his soul what to do, right? Soul, relax. Eat, drink, and be merry. He instructed his soul. But if you're a follower of God or a follower of Jesus, you're, you're, the spirit dwells in you and you are to follow the soul. So God took this man's soul and he couldn't lead it anymore. So what does it mean to be rich toward God? It simply means giving God everything. Not for our gain, but for his glory. It means living in such a way that all we have, need, or want, or could ever imagine needing or wanting now and forever belongs to God. I'm talking this out with my my wife last night. I said to her, I'm a fool. I came to this realization, right? I love studying God's word because it's so convicting And so enriching. I said to her, I'm a fool to believe that I'm being nice to God by trusting him. I don't know if any of you can relate. I'm a fool to believe that I'm doing God a favor by trusting him. The God who makes the heavens and the earth. The God who was, is, and will be forever. That God is instructing me to trust him. I'd be a fool to not trust him. Well, check out this picture. I'm a visual learner. How many of you are visual learners? Okay, thank you. There's a few of you that helps me see that you're listening. I'm a visual learner. I'm a visual learner. So let's just use this picture to illustrate uh, what we typically do. Uh, this, this woman, this family's field, I know this family. They do great work. They're nice people. So I apologize in advance for using this for like what we do now, like what we usually do. They're great people. But this, this what we often do with our stuff Right? As we survey the land, we look at like what God has given us. 
We take a look at what we've done and, and how we've used it, right? Like we've worked hard. These people clearly have worked hard. They've prepared the crops. They've done some hard work. Like they haven't just been sitting around hoping that God shows up. But then we say, well, God, I've done work for you. And now you owe me. Provide for me. Please, God, I've been faithful. With everything I see, I've tried to give to you. And I've planted what I have. And then over time, God provides and he gives it this sense of awe. That like, wow, out of a seed, this thing came. And then, you know, it starts happening. We go, wow. Instead of saying like, thank you, God, and, and being thankful, we start going, well, I mean, I worked really hard. So God would want me to have this, right? So, okay, I'll take this bit. And then like, well, my kids need to eat too. They can have some too, even though they didn't work for it. Like, here you go, kids. And like, oh, well, I could give away some for people nearby that need stuff, but like, what if, I'll take a little bit more because God would want me to be happy, right? God wants me to be my own provider, right? Like God wants me to use my mind and my wisdom and I have this stuff and why don't I just keep it? We take a look at what we see with our eyes and then we decide what to give God with what we have left. But that's not the posture God calls us to here. God cares about your needs, but he wants you to give him everything. Don't just give him what you see. To be rich toward God, you have to have a posture of full submission of everything. So look at this next picture. If it's hard to see, that's even better. So don't worry about that. Uh, this is the Loray Caverns in Virginia. I was just there last week, and it was amazing. My three-year-old was clinging to my, my body. She was scared, right? Just 100 feet below surface were these caverns. Some of these some of these formations took over 7,000 years to form. They were just below. You can go upstairs and you're in a gift shop, right? And, but just below, there's these amazing things that we can't even see that God has created. When you think about being, uh, when, when you think about being rich toward God, I want you to think about the caverns and the field. It's both. God wants you to give him not just what you see, but what you don't see. To trust him and have a posture of submission to give God everything. But, but Ryan, uh, you might be asking, but Ryan, how do, we, how do we know, right? In a land of excess and extravagant options, how do we know if we're being generous? How do we know if we're being rich toward God? Because I am way more generous than my neighbor to the left. There you go, thanks. Way more generous, right? Than those people that I know, certainly more generous than my sister or whatever, right? Like, I might not be as generous as I need to be, but really, God, do you want me to give even more? What's the number? That's what we always want, right? What's the, what's the formula? How do we know if we're doing this? Well, C.S. Lewis uh, has, this, has this great quote. As only C.S. Lewis could do, he summarizes everything I've said so far better than I could. In Mere Christianity, he says this, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditures on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. And here's the, here's the kicker that I think about a lot. And this is just the way that C.S. Lewis does, right? He just gets to the heart of who we are. He says this, There ought to be things that we should like to do and cannot do 
because our charitable expenditures exclude them. God wants our everything. If you're a writer, we're not going to show it up on the screen. If you're a note taker, Psalm 139, 23. Write that down. Look at that. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Psalm 139, 23. Search me, God. All the places that I haven't even found about myself. Everything is yours. Or Psalm 51, 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Second Corinthians 6, 8 says, it calls us to live in this tension. 2 Corinthians 6, 8 is one of the best passages for describing this tension. We should live in this tension as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Now look, I'm not calling you to give up everything you have and move with me to Africa. I don't even live in Africa. I work here. I live in Grantham. What I am calling you to do, and I'm calling us to do, is to give God everything. Our money, our possessions. This next one's really hard for me and probably for you. Our children, our church, our time. So what does it mean to be rich toward God? It means to live in a tension that requires joyful and an obedient posture to give God everything. But I had this great professor. I loved him and hated him all at the same time. Mostly loved him. If I'm truthful, sometimes hated him. But he used to say after I'd make these grand proclamations in grad school about like how the world could be, right? Or what the world could be like. He used to get like this close to me, like this close. And he'd come around and he'd go, Ryan, that was amazing. I would love to believe in that. But how are you going to do that? How? And you like spit at me a little bit. How? And you might be thinking the same thing. And so as I was thinking about how to do this, um, how do we store up treasures in heaven? Well, Trent has said that one of the ways that we know if we're storing up treasures in heaven is if there are people in heaven because of the way we've lived our lives. Like, have our lives exemplified uh, the things of God to the degree that people see us and become Christians in part because of the way we've lived. John Stott, a famous theologian, once said, uh, we might be the only Bible that people ever read. But the thing is, is that you and I don't often get to see the fruit of our faithfulness, right? Um, if I've learned anything of leading, after leading Forgotten Voices for the last 10 years, it's this. God doesn't ask us to be God. He asks us to be faithful. God doesn't ask us to be God. He asks us to be faithful. Storing up treasures in heaven requires faith. So that's the first ingredient. And when I think about faithfulness, I often think of two things. One, I think of my favorite verse, which is Hebrews 11.1. I read it all the time, especially in the hard places. Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is being sure what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. All of Hebrews 11 is about, most, most of it is about uh, people who were faithful and didn't get to see the fruits of their labor. Because it was about God, not them. And the second thing I think of is farming in Southern Africa. When I think about faithfulness, I think about farming in Southern Africa. 
most of the families we serve are living on less than $1.50 a day as a family income. And every September and October, they take all that they have, all their material possessions that they, can, that, that they have, really, and they sell it and they buy seed. Seed to plant in the ground. They take everything they have and they buy seed and they plant it and trust God with everything. Wow. The droughts come, the floods come. Many years there's crop failure, but year after year, over and over, they take everything they have and put it in the ground and trust God with everything. How do we live like that? I think the process of farming is a great example to help us remember how to store up treasures in heaven. I heard a poet uh, named Crystal Williams recently. I heard her reciting a poem that she'd written, and this is the only line that I'll say. Plant your seed, don't eat your seed. Plant your seed, don't eat your seed. You have all been granted in you, planted in you, gifted by God, and placed in a certain place, and called by God to be responsive and obedient. Plant your seed, don't eat it. For too many of us, we're going around the field. Remember that Harvey Carey example? We're going around the field and we're saying to God, if we're honest, we're saying, God, like, I, I know I trust you. I do trust you. But listen, like, I'm in this huddle and I just am just waiting to help you, help me figure out where I need to be. And like, could you tell me where I fit into this play? And if you would just help me understand my gifts a little bit more and then I'll be ready. If I had just a little bit more time, a little bit more preparation, a little bit more training, a little bit more house, a little bit more margin, then I'll have the space to really take the time to consider how you might use me. You know what that is? That's a huddle. God has told us that he is worthy of our everything. We're not, we don't just need to know the play, we need to run it. So to store up treasures in heaven, let's look at farming. We need to plant, we need to tend, and we need to be in awe. Think about that. Plant, ten, all. So let's look at this first one. We need to seek where God is at work in us. We need to plant ourselves. We need to listen to his voice and obey immediately. Any shortcomings, God will handle. When God calls you to do something, you need to obey immediately. Do you think an apple seed stops to consider whether it has the willpower to create a tree? It's obedient, trusting God in everything. It's how it was made, and you were made that way too. Trust God with everything. I heard recently that only God, this is such a great line. Somebody, I heard this recently at a conference, uh, that only God knows how many apple trees will ultimately come from a single tree, from a single seed. Plant yourself deeply to where God is at work around you. How does that happen? I remember as a kid watching my parents write their offering checks week after week to our church that my dad was the pastor of. And there were many weeks that our small church couldn't afford to pay my dad. Yet week after week, he was writing the same checks, even when he didn't get paid. And I remember asking him, Mom, Dad, why do you keep writing and giving checks to a church that can't provide for you? And to remind me, and probably to remind themselves, 
They said, because God deserves everything. The little things that we do, the intentionality that we do, plant seeds that we didn't even mean to, right? Like, those, those things that my parents did, those faithful acts, sowed into me, planted into me a belief that God would always provide, because he always did. I didn't want for anything. I mean, I wanted stuff, but like I didn't want for anything that I needed as a kid. God always provided in miraculous ways. And they were faithful. And that built trust into me. But there were moments of doubt, right? Along the journey of leading forgotten voices and other things in life, there have been months, and if I'm honest, years of doubt. Even the disciples said that, just like the rich fool. All of us are humans who need to learn how to trust God over and over again. And that's why I love that God's word is true all over the world. There are no economic cutoffs where God's word stops being true. So check out this guy. This guy, this is my friend, Mr. Malaya. Okay, Mr. Malaya is a guy I was just with in March. Mr. Malaya has a gift. He has an entrepreneurial gift. And he loves working with animals. And I was talking to Mr. Malaya, and our and Forgotten Voices now supports his work. And we've been helping the church figure out how to do a sustainable income project. So the work of the church can go, like the work of the church will go on even after Forgotten Voices' money goes away. And in considering how God had planted him, how God had placed him, what he could bring to plant the gifts that he has into what God was doing around him through his local church to look after widows and orphans. He said, hey, I'm an entrepreneur and I love animals, so I'm going to start a piggery. And he started raising pigs and it worked. And so you know what he said? He said, I'm going to start another piggery for the benefit of my church. And he's helping the church raise money through raising pigs. And this is what he said. He said, Ryan, never would I have imagined my love for pigs and mud would help children learn about God. Plant your seed. Don't eat your seed. Or this next picture. Every day, the number of children orphaned in the three countries Forgotten Voices works is equivalent to 14 school buses filled to capacity. Every day. But 75% of families in Zambia are caring for one child biologically, not theirs. Less than 1% of American families are doing the same. These are people with so little margin, they don't have time to wait for a bigger house and a little bit more money and a little bit more margin. They believe God's word is true. James 1.27 calls us to look after widows and orphans and their distress, and they're doing it. They're, They're planting their seed immediately. And that's why the church in Africa is growing faster than the orphan crisis. Because it's not about us being prepared. It's about us trusting the God who sent us and called us and says that he will deliver. Not for our glory and gain, but for his. When we are are inadequate and we plant ourselves deeply and trust God, people, when, when something happens, they don't say, oh yeah, of course that happened to that guy. They say, wow, look at what God did. Our faithfulness is about God, not you. The second thing is we have to uh, tend. We could plant something, right? And then we can walk away. My wife is a great gardener. She's, she leads our community garden behind in our neighborhood. And she's a great gardener. If you ever get to meet her, she's the best thing about me. And my wife is good at gardening. 
I've helped her occasionally and I like do something and then I walk away and I forget, right? My wife is faithful. Rain or shine, she's out there working and tending to the garden or making sure somebody else is when we're on vacation or away. But we often plant something and then we walk away, right? We hear these sermons about share with God and be generous. And we say, oh, that's a great idea. And we go out this afternoon and we do something nice and then we go back to our old ways tomorrow. I'm like you. Planting requires tending, regular tending, not just when we think we need it, but always. Missing watering one day, right? How many of you have gardened, any, any gardeners out there? Missing watering one day or a few days, visually you might not be able to tell right away, but come harvest, you can tell that you missed the watering. It's the same way. In the Daniel series, Trent talked uh, about this and called this making use of the negative space. While you're waiting for God to show up, you're tending and being faithful. But tending involves self-care and community. It involves self-care and community. Self-care, there are things that you can do, right? You can read your Bible. Uh, You can learn to discern his voice. Not just when you need to find him, but all the time. And that's what I struggle with the most. I don't know what your struggle is, but that's what I struggle about the most. I'm learning. After every spiritual victory, I forget that the enemy comes strong at me. Anything that I've been able to do or be around or be exposed to or experience how God has been at work, I forget to tend to the garden the next day. So I'll come down from a spiritual high quickly. God will do something amazing. He'll invite me to jump in. I'll jump and I'll be obedient, planting myself quickly, but then I'll forget to tend the garden. I'll stop for seasons reading my Bible. I'll stop intentionally praying, believing foolishly that this time I can do it on my own. I don't know if you can relate to that. I'm pretty sure you can. These moments where we say, and oh, look at what God has done, too quickly turn into, God, look at this amazing thing that I did for you. It's different, right? From look at what God has done to, God, isn't that nice of me for what I did for you? I was faithful. You're welcome. Like that. Look at what God did. Too quickly turns into look at what I did for you, God. Here are these pastors in Malawi. Or this is the land, sorry, this land in Malawi. You gotta check this out. This is, this is land in southern Malawi, southern Blantyre. This is what land looks like that has been flooded, drought, flooded. I went and visited pastors working in this area, in this land. This land uh, where these churches are working, people are eating. Eight out of ten people are eating less than once a day. That's like the depravity, right? It gives you a picture of this. So this next slide is a picture of these pastors that I was with recently. And the guys on the left, the guys on the left, the pastors on the left, they were telling me that every week their church collects $2 a week in offering. And before you laugh, every week, these, these people, they pray and they, and they consider how God wants to help use that money, use that money to help widows and orphans in distress. But as I was listening to them, they said, but Ryan, there are some people just nearby where the need is even greater. And we're trying to help there too. So I met those pastors, those pastors in the middle. And those pastors were, their churches were bringing in a dollar a week. 
and doing the same thing. And they said, but there's these people nearby that we really want to help and we're trying. And I met those pastors, the people on the right. There is no economic cutoff where God's word stops being true. But to do this, they need to be tending to each other and encouraging one another. Because this work is hard. To do sustainable work like this and to trust God and store up our treasures in heaven, how to do it, we need a community around us. My father, a pastor of 44 years, was with me when we met those pastors. And he came out of there and he said, do these people not know that they are the poor? Right? But God is using them because they are planting where they are and tending in the garden and trusting that the God who made the heavens and the earth is worthy of their trust with their everything. But we do need community ourselves. So for me, community means that I have a few guys, I have a few men in my life who I've given 24 hours a day, seven days a week access to my life. There is no dimension of my life or my soul, the stuff I've given to them and the things I haven't given to them that they feel like they deserve to have a say in. All of it. And they can ask me about anything at any time. My marriage, my parenting, my money, my sex life, everything. Because I trust them, because I need people in my life who can help me see what I cannot see. They need to tend to the underbellies of who I am that I can't get to. And they need to remind me about the faithfulness of God. They need to remind me of the calling on my life to be faithful. Because the doubts will come. We need tending. Do you have 24-7 friends? Are you a friend like that to someone else? If you don't have a life group or an accountability partner or someone you're accountable to, you need to get them. Here's why. We cannot expect our God to grow roses well when we are unwilling to do weeding. The last one is awe. Last and arguably the most important is awe. When we plant something, planting and storing up treasures in heaven requires awe to have faith that all of our material possessions are planted into the dirt and we tend to them and then we wait. And when God uses our humble offerings to make miraculous things like plants that we can eat out of a little seed, that is amazing. We need to move about life. Let me see this, this lady up here. I just love her smile and her awe. Like this woman, her crops are like amazing. And she's now a teacher and instructor in her community and teaching people in Zimbabwe how to grow crops. Like she has reintroduced a spirit of awe in her community. But I want to tell you another story as we close that's not this woman, but I love this, this, this joyful spirit in this woman's eyes. Because as I tell you this sad story as we close, I want you to remember that we don't always get to see the fruits of our faithfulness. I met this woman a couple years ago in Zambia. She had a few kids, and uh, I was with her, and I was meeting her, and uh, the church was supporting this woman because uh, this woman, who was a widow, um, had three kids, and her sibling, her sister, had just died. So that meant that soon all of those kids were going to come live with her, right? And with hope and joy and confidence, she looked at me and she said, I know that God is going to be faithful because for years I've been a volunteer at this church 
And I know that God has provided. I've watched people God provide through our humble church. I know that God will provide. And she was making less than $2 a day. And I was like, how are you going to take care of eight kids at $2 a day? I just scratching my head. How's this going to work out? And I just remember saying to her, I am in awe of you. And I promise I will pray for you. And I'm going to tell your story. Because you have given me a fuller understanding about having awe toward God. And so I did. And about a year later, I came back and visited her. And she told me that another sibling had just passed away. And she was sitting on the floor of this, this run-down house with no roof that she had tried to move into that was bigger but didn't, had no roof. She's she making more money, but now she's got a few more kids coming to live with her. And she looked at me with tears in her eyes and fear in her heart, and she said, the weight of this burden will crush me. Full stop. No hope. And I remember getting down on my knees and looking in the eye and saying something like this. Your faith in God is awesome. When I saw you last year, I promised you I would travel around and tell people about you and testify to the ways that you've helped me understand the fullness of God's love. I cannot begin to understand the agony of your situation. I cannot take away this burden right now. But what I can tell you is what's happened from me telling your story. There have been people who have heard your story who have come to know the Lord because of you. They come up to me and they say, I didn't know that God's love could be that big to, to convince some woman on the other side of the world was so little that he was worthy of her trust. God's love is that big. Our God is not small. He is not shrinking. He is roaring. He is worthy of our trust. I told this woman that there are going to be people that she will meet and spend an eternity with because she has been faithful in her small village in Zambia. Her eyes lifted. She didn't lift it. Her eyes looked at me and a smile came across her face. My sister in Christ, our sister in Christ, her faith lifts my tired arms and the tired arms of people who were once separate from their creator and now will get to spend an eternity in freedom with him because she has been faithful. My friends, God does not ask us to be God. He asks us to be faithful and he is worthy of our everything. My prayer this morning is that we go out and not just know the play, but run it. We are imperfect people serving a perfect God. There is nothing that our God cannot do. And he is worthy of our everything. So that all who see and meet us, see and meet our God, and are at all at who he is. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for being a God who is worthy of our everything. I thank you for the ways that you've allowed your people in Africa, your people, your kingdom, to help lift our tired arms, that we and our culture of extravagance and options that have no end, that we might trust in you with our everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.